0: Fine Tuning is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of Jim Hill Media. For a worry-free travel experience, book online at StorybookDestinations.com. Welcome back to Fine Tuning, your one-stop shop for animation news and commentary. I am Drew Taylor, and my co-host Jim Hill is actually away this week in Walt Disney World Uh, He's with Len, they're doing their great holiday trip, and I very much wish I was there, but I'm not, so I'm here bringing you uh, a new episode of Fine Tuning, and we're going to kind of forego the news portion of the show this week, which is uh, because, you know, I want to talk to Jim about these things. We have so much to talk about between... Disney Plus Day, I've now seen Encanto and Sing 2, and can talk about that, and all of these other things that we really think that uh, you guys would like to hear us discuss together. So instead, what I am going to do is I am going to do an intro right now, which is what you're listening to, to an interview that I conducted with Chris Butler, who is the writer and director of Paranorman. Paranorman is one of our favorite Leica movies. And actually, it's going back into theaters one night only tonight. So if you're listening to this in the morning, go get your tickets. It's a fathom event that is being presented by Leica and G Kids, all people that we love so much. And so I got to talk to Chris Butler about everything going on at Leica, about the making of Paranorman, about looking back on Paranorman. And so you can hear that right now. Chris, how are you feeling looking back on, on Paranorman and it coming back into theatres? Pretty pretty exciting. It is actually,
1: yeah, it's, um, it's a strange feeling because I did like a, a Q&A the other night and I suddenly realized when I sat up there that I, I hadn't talked about it for so long. And all the answers that were coming into my head were for Missing Link. And I was like, no, it's the wrong movie. <laughs> It feels, it feels like a lifetime ago. It feels a long time ago, but, um, you know, it's got a special place in my heart there.
0: What were your big takeaways from it? It was your directorial debut, obviously. That's huge. Mm-hmm. But tell me how it kind of changed you, I guess. Well, I, I'd always wanted to, to direct, but I think I
1: lacked confidence. And it was also my first script, as well, I mean, I'd written stuff before, and I'd worked on, you know, in, uh, being a storyboard artist. You you're often adding lines to movies or reworking stuff in a story sense, but I'd never actually, you know, submitted a full script before. So in some ways, it, it, I mean, it was definitely a baptism of fire, but it was also it it turned me into a, a proper filmmaker. I think. Okay. I remember the first day that I met with Travis he called me to his office I'd given him the first 30 pages of the script to read and I was expecting a critique from him you know like it's not bad but you know you could change this do that and what he actually said was where's the rest of it I loved it and I was like oh it's back home and it wasn't of course it was (laughs) still waiting to be written but um yeah he said um I love it I want to make this and our next movie at Leica and I want you to direct it. So I think I remember, apparently he says that I didn't say anything in response. I just sat there kind of looking at him. And then I think I went back to my office and then I, that's when I crapped myself. I was like, oh no, how am I going to do this? I've never done anything like this before. But the thing about directing that I found is, particularly when when you write the thing as well, is that there isn't anything that you don't know when it comes to that project. And I found the same with like publicity and Q&As and podcasts. There isn't any part of this story that I don't know in my bones because right. it came out of my head. So no one's ever going to ask me something that I'm stumped at. And it was the same thing with directing. I remember the first time that I, I was in a room full of all the department heads, and most of them know a lot more than me when it comes to their specific departments. And most of them had been working a lot longer than me. And I remember just being surrounded by these people who were all staring at me and thinking, I don't know what to say to them. But there was that realization, that epiphany of like, the movie's in here, it, it's in my head. All I've got to do is tell people what I see. I've got to tell people what I see that frame on the screen as looking like, and it's up to them to realize it and use their skills and their expertise.
0: But you did you did assemble quite a quite a murderer's row of collaborators on this movie too. <laughs> I'm assuming that that also helped get through any kind of potential hurdles that that you were yes. facing as director, right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, that's the thing you want to surround yourself with. The, a team it's not just about realizing this movie that's playing in my head it's about making that movie better right I, i've got i've got an idea of how I want every shot to to be what I, what I want every character to look like. What I want is to someone is for someone to come along and do something that challenges me that makes me think that's better than I want the, the what I saw. A good example would be. Uh, Heidi Smith's character design uh, on the movie. You know, originally I did a lot of drawings and paintings just to get the feel of it. And it it was more my style. And then I remember looking at her portfolio from CalArts and it was so kind of idiosyncratic and so eccentric and out there. And I was like, this this is absolutely perfect for this movie. It's more perfect than anything that I could draw. So, yeah, it's it's stuff like that, where someone brings something to the table that you've never dreamt in a million years, but it just makes the it just clicks into place.
0: Was there any kind of technical hurdle that seemed insurmountable that you were able to <laughs> vanquish on this one? All of
1: it. <laughs>
0: um, I mean, I think one of the things that we were trying to do
1: on this movie, because Coraline was very much in the vein of previous stop motion movies, In in the sense of scale and number of characters, you know, the majority of that movie takes place in the house or an alternate version of the house. And there's a lot going on because there's all different iterations of those rooms. But essentially, it's a small group of characters in one location. And the stop motion historically is, has always been that way because of the limitations of the medium. It's where, you, you know, what you can build, you have to build these sets, you have to build these puppets and you have to get a camera in there. So that's always been limiting in a sense of scope and scale. And it's one thing that Travis was always talking about and, it, and Paranormal kind of started us on this road was like, how much can we push the boundaries of this medium? How much, how much bigger a story can we tell? So Blythe Hollow, which is the town in Paranorman, I wanted it to feel like a, a real town. I wanted it to feel like a real place. I didn't want it just to feel like three isolated uh, locations that we kind of patched together. I wanted you to feel like this: there were people living and breathing in this space. And so technically what we did there was to in- increase the, s- the scale uh, of our locations. And we did a lot of digital work with that digital set extensions but even that was very much informed by a practical sense so we would have the art department build like houses and then the digital team would scan them and reproduce them and maybe tweak them Uh, same with trees forests all that kind of thing and we had digital extras you know big crowd scenes big mob scenes and we were really pushing how far we could take that and still have them feel like they sit in the same world as the puppets. And then there was the a big one I think for me was the replacement faces. We'd used replacement face technology on Coraline. This is the uh, you know the RP that uh, printed faces. But on Coraline they had to be hand painted each individual face had to be hand painted which is extremely, you know, onerous in in terms of the amount of work that it takes. And as an example, you know, Coraline's got some, I think it might be 13 freckles, something like that. But every one of those freckles has to be in the same position on every frame. So they printed them with slight bumps so the painters knew where to paint. But again, that's a limitation. On Paranorman, we used for the first time ever a 3D color printer. So we were able to create really complex, nuanced paint schemes for the characters' faces. So, uh, you know, Coraline's got 13 freckles. I think Neil has got like a thousand freckles on his face. Something that you could never hand paint. And it it kind of broke those barriers. It unleashed us creatively to be able to do things like that that ordinarily we, we would have been limited.
0: There's also some imp- incredible camera moves in this thing. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. We were just chatting with the Ardman guys a couple of days ago, and they said, you know, that you're really limited by how far the uh, motion control camera can go. But there are some yeah. really amazing shots in, in your movie that I was wondering uh, sort of how, how you pulled those off. Were there any <laughs> kind of breakthroughs there?
1: I mean, we're all, again, we're always pushing. Every time we make one of these things, we try and, and push the technology further. And that goes for MoCo as well. You know, I, I should say, though, first that it was actually the camera limitations in stop motion that first kind of drew me creatively to it. Because I started out in 2D animation and there you know the camera is only limited by what you can draw and the same with cg you can fly your camera everywhere it was only when i first started working in stop motion that i really started thinking about the camera in a i think a, a more considered way because you can't just fly it where you want, because you actually have to stand in a space. You know, you've got puppets in a room. You have to be in that room and imagine where you can fit that camera. And it makes you think about the shots differently. You start to kind of, I think it's more of a live action kind of approach, which to me was great. I think that that really helped me uh, as a filmmaker. Uh, having said that, you don't want it to be static, and like you say you know we 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 tried to push the boat out as far as we could. I mean, ultimately, with i i'd say the majority of the camera moves they it is still moco on Paranormal, we didn't have a lot of computer generated camera moves. i'm just trying to think there were certainly some shots where you know the 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 rig is just so big, the camera move is so big that we're breaking out of one unit into another unit because the studio is basically like this big warehouse and, and each set is separated into its own unit or portion of set. And sometimes we had rigs that were breaking through, you know, the curtains into the corridors, you know, it gets whatever we had to do to make it work.
0: And obviously Tristan Oliver was, was on this movie and he is a certifiable genius. I think we can yes. agree. Um, I thought you were gonna say certifiable maniac. <laughs> well, I mean that too, in, in a to a degree. But I mean, did his work on, with uh with Wes Anderson kind of influence anything there? Cause I mean those are very exaggerated kind of camera moves. Actually, no. Okay. Uh, and and I think that was one of the things
1: uh that Tristan was enjoying about this was but it was a complete stylistic right turn. Right. You know he'd just come off mr fox and that was so um, storybook in its approach uh so linear and it, i think it was nice to be able to uh for him to come on on board a movie and he was instrumental by the way in in, in developing this uh this filming lang- language for the movie that that was me sam fell and tristan And Nelson Lowry as well. We all kind of sat together and we wanted to approach this movie as if it was a real movie. And when I say real movie, I mean live action movie. Obviously, animated movies are real, too. But that was our approach. We wanted it to feel like it was the real world, like it was real life stylized. But we wanted to treat the camera that way. We wanted to treat the textures that way. You know, if an object is made out of metal, it should look like it's made out of metal. We wanted to treat everything with a sense of kind of dirty realism. And I think Tristan really rose to that challenge.
0: Well, I wanted to talk about some specific things from the movie. And this is a question that I've had for however many years, and I've never brought it up to you. But the scene at the end when the witch is kind of going crazy, mm-hmm. was that scene temped to music from The Fountain?
1: Yes, it was. Yes. <laughs> and, and you picked up on that.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes. Is yeah.
0: That, I don't think that's John
1: Bryan, is it? No, it is. Oh, um, it is. Okay. We use that temp. And, you know, the thing with temp is that you you live with it for such a long time in the storyboards. And some of it you're glad to see go. But there was a certain feeling to that particular piece that we couldn't shake. So it ended up in the. So grab that flavor, that yes. flavor.
0: <laughs> One thing I also want to talk about was, you know, having a gay character in a kid's mm-hmm. animated movie is something that Pixar, for all their messaging, <laughs> cannot they they do not totally deny Luca being gay at all. You know, it's like we're still not there yet. Some of the studios. So I was wondering if that was a fight at all. Did that, was that were there discussions about that, and and how do you feel about its legacy? All these years later, I mean, they sell sort of pride shirts on the like website with him holding yeah. a flag, you know, and things like that. It's pretty, yeah. it's pretty powerful still.
1: Yeah, I think it was brave at the time. I think we've, we, we uh, there have been great strides made since then, particularly in series work. Yes. Maybe less so in movies, and I think that's more to do with streaming and and the fact that the the way you. Uh, acquire an audience for a project and streaming is very different than the theatres and I think that's why theatre released content is a little bit more cagey conservative because they're scared of offending people. It was always the intention to have that character have that moment because fundamentally to me the movie is about not judging a book by its cover and Certainly a lot of that goes with Aggie, the witch character, and Norman, obviously. But I wanted to make the audience complicit in that. I wanted to make the audience to, to be having preconceived notions of characters and then turn that on, on its head at the end. Looking back, it's amazing that there was there, there was no pushback, there was no discussion. Travis is very much about like, he wanted me to make the movie that I wanted to make. And it was a big part of the, the messaging of the thing. So it was vital, I think, for it to be in there. I think it was one of the proudest parts of that movie was getting the nomination for the Glad Award, which is the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation. And I think it was the first time that an animated movie had been nominated. So that felt good. Uh, but yeah, I, I feel like I've been very lucky creatively because anything like that, that uh, maybe in other studios would be contentious, it's, that's never been the case uh, with my stuff at Leica.
0: Well, the other thing, I know that we're, we're talking about the r- theatrical re-release today, but there's also been this great Blu-ray that's come out that I'm sure you have supervised and, and looked at. And one of my favorite things is to see it in storyboard form. Oh yeah. See the whole movie in storyboard form. So amazing. So I was wondering, what like did you fight for that? Are you happy that people are going to see it in this kind of incomplete way? It's something that every time we have a, a
1: Blu-ray or DVD release, I've always wanted that you know, I come from storyboarding. So to me, that's like the extra that I want to see on every movie that I've ever bought, you know? It's interesting looking back at Paranormal because I hadn't looked back at the boards until recently when I saw that, the, the Blu-ray extra. And uh, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy how much more um, complex boarding has become even since then in the right. last 10 years. But yeah, I... Anything that gives you a true insight into uh, the filmmaker's work. You know, the thing about EPK stuff, the thing about DVD extras, they can be over-curated. They can be over-polished. Yes. You don't always get to see warts and all, but I think the great thing about seeing a whole movie built out of storyboards is just seeing exactly what the crew were seeing when they were making it.
0: Right. Right. I know I'm about to get the hook, but I just wanted to to check in sort of and ha- see how how is Wildwood going? And how do you feel sort of about Leica and its sort of continued existence? Because I, I worry sometimes, I'm gonna be very honest with you that I, I worry, but do you see, you know, you guys linking up with a streamer or something? And where do you see kind of, if you were looking five years down the road, what do you see? Wildwood I mean, is I- out, let's hope, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it will be brilliant. And it will be a huge success, yes. It will be
1: stunning, I have no doubt, um, from the little, little bits that I've seen. <laughs> and of that, I will not speak. I, I mean, streaming's got to be involved in some capacity for anyone's future. Yeah. I'm not as worried, maybe, as you are, because I think like is Travis's baby. It's this creative showpiece. You know, so I think they're going to continue to produce amazing movies that are different. You know, I, th- I, I don't think you'll ever see us repeating ourselves. Yes. And I think you're going to test. I, I hope that you will still see uh, projects from like a, that you don't see anywhere else. That's what I love about animation. And that's what I love about animation. The industry right now is that there's so much varied content out there? It used to be the case that everyone made movies to look like Disney movies because that's what, how they could sell them. And it's not the case now because of streaming. It, now you can get all kinds of content, you can mm. get all genres within animation, all different styles. And, and that, for me, is, is the beauty of animation. That's what being absolutely a big part of why. Like as being so important to me creatively is because we continue to do stuff that put, not only pushes the boundaries of stop motion, but it does stuff that's different that you can't see anywhere else.
0: Are you in development on something right now?
1: May, maybe.
0: Okay, that's Mind all. That business. that'll keep me going. You know, that <laughs> just that little nugget of information. But thank you. I always love chatting with you, Chris, and and uh, it's it's great to check in about this amazing movie and. Hopefully I can visit the studio soon. I, I so oh, miss yeah. going to these places, know. you know? I know. Eventually we'll be Eventually. back there. But
1: yeah, I am very, very excited about this re uh, release
0: Yeah, it's really great. And uh, the way it's meant to be seen. So I can't wait for people who are maybe yeah. too young or whatever that can finally yeah, see exactly. it. exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Chris. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, Sarah. Um, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Oh, always a pleasure. Bye. So, that was Chris Butler, and uh, yeah, he is awesome. Uh, we really thank him for his generosity, and uh, being able to talk to us was a, was a, you know, that was a big thrill for me to, to ta- chat with Chris about a movie that means so much to me, and also I know so much to Jim. So, we'll be back next week with a brand new episode covering all of the news topics, and we're going to have an interview with the directors of the upcoming Ardman Animation Studios... Uh, Christmas special Robin Robin it's gonna be a blast I promise it's gonna be awesome obviously you can follow Jim at Jim Hill Media he's got a bunch of other shows that should be airing sort of in their regular schedule this week including Marvel Us Disney with the great Aaron Adams and of course you can follow me at Drew Tailored like a tailored shirt on Instagram and Twitter and also check out my other podcast Light the Fuse an encyclopedic deep dive into all things Mission Impossible. So for Jim, I'm going to say thank you so much for listening. I apologize that the episode was shorter this week, but we'll be back next week with our usually scheduled program. Thank you so much. And I just want to remind everybody again to go see Paranorman tonight. There's also a brand new Blu-ray that has a bunch of great special features that we talk about in the interview that's available now that would make a great Christmas or Hanukkah gift. So check that out as well. Thanks so much, guys.